Hello and happy Halloween and welcome to episode 83 of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. I do have a Halloween special plan that is going to be released this week about Marvel's Satana, the Devil's Daughter. So keep your eyes and ears open for that one premiering either Wednesday the 2nd or Friday the 4th. Math. Or if you're listening to this further down the line, go ahead and look for it and I hope that you enjoy the Halloween special regarding Satana, who is a really underappreciated character. One of the reasons that, if I can go on a tangent for just a moment, one of the reasons that I really like doing these character profiles as monthly specials for my podcast is because I get to really look at all of the different aspects of a character's persona meaning all of the different ways that the multiple, no doubt, writers and creators who have been on board for their stories have written them. And there is a lot of discrepancy and a lot of back and forth and a lot of changes going by what writer or era you may be reading for the particular character in question. And the only way to really fully understand that character, in my opinion, is to look at each one of those eras. You can't really get a full look at the character and their history if you're only looking at a certain writer's opinion of how this character was. And unless that writer was already doing the work of going back and keeping in mind everything that the character has uh, gone through and been changed to based on everything else that other writers have done, which they usually don't bother to keep all that in mind. Writers tend to have an ego. Um, You kind of have to do that work yourself, um, or you're left with just kind of a flat version of the character. So I really like to go through um, and do all of that work for you and do all of that discovering. And so what I come out with when I do all of that history research, you could say, is an actual round image of what the character is, who the character is, and their motives, and what drives them and things. And so that's why I get some of these characters like Satana, who is, um, if you were to read her at only one point or another, a fairly flat character. But in doing all the research that I have on her, she's very interesting. She really is. And so I'm I'm really excited to be able to talk about Satana and um, a lot of the influences that went into the creation of her character in the first place, specifically the 1970s horror exploitation in both comics and movies, how that ties into the comics code, the effect of the comics code. Oh, we're going to go all the way into Seduction of the Innocent, which was back in, I think, the 50s which was literally a book written about how comics are the work of Satan, pretty much. Um, This is all, you know, satanic panic. All this stuff goes into Satana's character in the creation of her um, and the continuation of her. And in my opinion, um, the, the best stories for Satana are the ones who stick with that kind of pulp. Uh, horror exploitation, but not so much the like the other sides of exploitation, which again I'll go into in that podcast. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. If you're a fan of horror stuff, if you're a fan of pulp comics, of um, the like angels and demons side of Marvel comics, which there is a lot of, 
Anything like that, if you're into, you're going to love this podcast, and I am really excited to share it with you later this week. But I digress. Welcome to episode 83. (laughs) This week's episode is super exciting uh, because there is so much news. I didn't even skip a week of podcasting, and there is still a ton of news. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about things that I have seen this week uh, and things that are coming up, and then we have news regarding Wakanda Forever and their soundtrack, a DC film news, DC, let's see, gosh, more DC film news, a lot of DC film news, Doctor Who news, MCU news, Netflix nerd project news, uh, Sony Marvel news, uh, some casting stuff, and one particularly interesting rumor. We're also going to talk uh, things that are going to, because I do have the, I know I was going to put it up last week and I did not get to it, but the January 2023 Big Two solicitations. Um, I have a couple of highlights from that very briefly. It's only five little things to mention, Uh, but then The month of November is right around the corner, or depending on when you're listening to this, is already here, or happened. Um, And so we're going to talk about a couple of things coming from indie comics, as well as Marvel and DC comics that are kickoffs of series or short series um, that look really, really interesting. Things that I generally think uh, are worth looking into when they arrive this month. And we're continuing the spotlight mangas this week. Uh, it is going to be The Great Jahi Will Not Be Defeated, which happens to also be my Halloween costume, so that's super appropriate. Uh, and then we're going to go into comic book picks. I'm still quite behind, but I'm getting there. We have five picks, sorry, four picks this week. Didn't quite get to the last ones. Um, sometimes, you know, I don't also talk about stuff if it's not actually enjoyable, but I didn't enjoy it. We don't need to harp on how bad things are all the time. <laughs> uh, and then we do have comic book polls. Well, these are coming out the week of the 2nd of November. Uh, it's split up by publisher. There is a lot of indie comics kicking off this time of year, and it is super exciting because in my personal opinion, that is where we are getting the best comics right now is these indie publishers like Image and Boom and Skybound and AWA and Dynamite. Like, maybe not so much Dynamite. Dynamite's just fun. (laughs) You don't go to Dynamite for quality, necessarily. You go to Dynamite for fun. Um, But anyway, it's a great time to be reading comics. It's a great time to be a nerd, and uh, I definitely recommend checking out indie comics if you are not super into the superhero stuff, because again, so much happening in the world of indie comics right now. Don't miss out. And finally, we will talk, because I finally found access to it, uh, season 13, I guess technically episode 9 of Doctor Who, The Power of the Doctor. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about the future of the franchise on this episode, because there was some news revolving that. Um, And then when we get to The Power of the Doctor, we will discuss all kinds of Easter eggs. I'm going to have a link in the below area um, from Den of Geek. Somebody went through and got an extensive list of all, like, detailed list of Easter eggs. Um, I'm only going to go through the ones they were kind of obvious, but I will link that there if you want to see all of the, the more detailed stuff. 
Real quick here before we get started, please feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link at the bottom of each episode's description. The Discord is a safe, friendly place for socialization and discussion of whatever you want, really, comics, pop culture, or otherwise. And it's also where you can go to find links or images mentioned during the podcast all in one place. You can find me most easily on social media via Instagram. My username is at Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and hey, I've got a lot of comics. Uh, my podcast updates, if you want to find those, they'll be mostly on Twitter, where my username is at Savage she Geek because Sensational was too many letters. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, where I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit so that it is still relevant in addition to the podcast, so make sure you go and check that out, including my beginner's guide to both comics and manga, covering hopefully any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on comics, graphic novels, manga, series, etc. Uh, I also have my reading orders with commentary on appearances of various leading ladies, many of which I use to turn into the monthly Yancey Street specials, also linked all over my site, uh, and they focus on a so far female character from the comics to study thoroughly and then expand upon in a podcast episode of their own. I try to make them pretty relevant. For example, I I'm about 95% done with a Jennifer Walters She-Hulk episode, which is going to be coming out uh, for her show this August. Additionally, anything pre-2021 content-wise can be found written in the website blog for your reference, which was all before I started the podcast. Plus my podcast notes, which are basically all the content of each episode in written format, are made available on my blog as well for reading the podcast instead of listening and for those who are hearing impaired if they'd like to keep up with the podcast events as well. And you can finally find links to anywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most, if not all, podcast hosting apps, and also includes YouTube. On YouTube, I also post the podcast episodes in a single playlist format, if that is easier way for you to listen. And I also occasionally post action figure review videos. It has been a lot more imports in the latest videos, as I have pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line, uh, but I do have a big backlog of Legends videos, including a tour of our entire collection. It's a very long video tour. And soon the HasLab Galactus, assuming that he is on his way to go alongside last year's HasLab Sentinel video. I do have a podcast Patreon. You can find it under Sensational She Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast, as well as a Kofi, which is like a buy a creator a coffee situation. And Cash App, Venmo, PayPal are all linked on my link tree for donation towards the podcast, which should appear linked among a various other fun things at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, I do also have a Redbubble shop called She Geek Shop, but I have been having some issues with their site and whatnot. Um, so I'm working on setting up my own storefront on my site, which hopefully will be coming by the new year and will be faster with more support from listeners. Starting off with the smaller news points for the week, Wakanda Forever has officially premiered. It has really, really great reviews as far as I've seen so far. The people are saying that it's an excellent follow-up of the original film and that they did a great job introducing the character of Namor. Personally, I'm not 
actually sure when we are going to go see the movie, uh, hopefully the initial weekend of its release, but fingers crossed, uh, time will tell. We also saw Barbarian this weekend, which I recommend, dot, 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 um, it is definitely, it's, 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 I'm trying to think of a way to describe it, um, it's a good horror movie, it had good twists, um, I, I don't know. It was, it was very strange. Um, <laughs> very strange. Um, but I did like it. I did enjoy it. I'm not sure what else to say about it. So we'll leave it at that. Um, the white Lotus. I know I talked about when that was originally premiering the first season that is back on HBO max. Uh, I believe as of last night, I have not watched the premiere episode because I am already full of other things that I have to do. Um, but I will be watching that hopefully at some point this week. Um, and as I mentioned before, today is Halloween. So happy Halloween. Um, happy Samhain if that is something that you celebrate. And, um, happy, uh, you know, just general All Hallows Eve type vibes. Don't do anything stupid. That's all I gotta say. And I think my cat is finally done scratching at the litter box. <laughs> That's what that was. In the news, we are going to start off with Rihanna. Uh, she had a, she has probably two tracks, but she has the premiere track off of the Wakanda Forever soundtrack that came out on Friday. The song is called Lift Me Up. My cat's being talkative. What's up? What? <laughs> uh, the song is called Lift Me Up and it is being called A Beautiful Ballad. This is Rihanna's first song in about six, almost seven years since the album Auntie, I don't know why I said Auntie, Auntie dropped in 2016. And it's been well over two years since her most recent feature. What's up, buddy? Hey. Now he's being quiet. Since her feature on uh, the song Believe It, which was a 2022 single by Party Next Door. I don't think I've even heard that. Um, and from Ashley Pointer of NPR, she says the song was co-written by Thames, Ludwig Garonson, and director Ryan Coogler. Lift Me Up is a tribute to the life and legacy of actor Chadwick Boseman, who died in 2020 as his role playing King T'Challa, Black Panther, affixed him as an icon figure to the Black community. Lift Me Up is tender at its core, Rihanna's vocals paired with sentimental lyrics taking center stage among a swirling interplay of strings. Burning in a hopeless dream, hold me when you go to sleep, she sings. Keep me in the warmth of your love. When you depart, keep me safe, safe and sound. Rihanna is also slated to perform at the 2023 Super Bowl, again from Ashley Pointer of NPR. With Rihanna slated to perform at the 2023 Super Bowl, Lift Me Up raises the question of what this reemergence means in terms of where she's going musically. The Rihanna here on Lift Me Up is reminiscent of the rising pop star we back in the, saw back in the early 2000s, in the vein of the vulnerable, exposed singer heard on 2006's Unfaithful. Even the cover art of this new track is remarkably similar to that of A Girl Like Me. Uh, with a legacy of eclectic production and arrangement behind her, arrangements behind her, if Lift Me Up is the beginning of a new Rihanna era, then it might be one that centers her, stripped down without the bells and whistles that have helped Mirror make a pop icon. Personally, I really enjoyed the song. It is, I would say, a definite tearjerker if you go in there with the mindset of everything that it kind of is meant to 
emanate. Um, really nice. Really enjoyed it. Obviously, definitely kind of a lullaby style ballad. Um, I, f I kind of feel like lullaby is a better descriptor than ballad, um, especially in the fact that she just had a baby, <laughs> uh, like very recently. So um, I think that is probably definitely more accurate to where her mindset is at. And of course, this was written by uh, Thames, who is the, I believe, Nigerian singer. And she was the one who did the um, the cover of, what was it? No Woman, No Cry uh, for the first trailer. Um, and then Ludwig Goranson, I believe, was the one who did the soundtrack Yes, he did the first Black Panther movie as well as The Mandalorian, The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, he's done a number of things for the Rocky franchise, i.e. Creed, it sounds like, uh, and a lot of other things. It seems he even did We're the Millers, which was that. <laughs> no regrets, you know, like, <laughs> he has quite a thing. But I, I've, if you've seen the behind the scenes of The Mandalorian, you know that he is a fantastic composer. Uh, truly impressive stuff. So it's nice to know that he is back on this. And then, of course, Ryan Coogler being a personal uh, longtime friend of Chadwick Boseman. Um, you know, obviously a great team to have creating this song for Rihanna. In DC film news, uh, DC has found their new heads, James Gunn and Peter Safran, are named the new co-heads of Warner Brothers Discovery's DC Comics film and TV unit, effective November 1st, which as of this moment, as I'm recording this, is tomorrow. Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslov cleaned house when he came in earlier this year and has been looking for what's been described as DC's Kevin Feige for some, some months now, even issuing a statement that Dan Lin was the choice before that deal fell through with him. Zaslov desires it to build a long-term, it's actually a quote from him, quote, much a long-term, much stronger, sustainable growth business out of DC, unquote, that focuses on quality. The executive is eyeing a reset of the DC Cinematic Universe that would set up a 10-year plan for the franchise, again, aiming for things to be very similar to Marvel's MCU. And blah, 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 blah. we'll get to that in a minute. By what I feel about that in a minute. What uh, Gunn has to say, well, they, well, they released a co-statement from Gunn and Safran. It says, we're honored uh, to be the stewards of these DC characters we've loved since we were children. We look forward to collaborating with the most talented writers, directors, and actors in the world to create... Uh, to create an integrated, multi-layered universe that still allows for the individual expression of the artists involved. They are picking up a little bit of a cluster, bit of a mess. Uh, first off, The Flash is under a cloud of controversy due to Ezra Miller, the star, facing many allegations, including child grooming. Uh, Zaslav pulled the nearly complete Batgirl... Yeah! Baffy! See, I call him and he stops yelling. <laughs> they, they pulled Batgirl from its HBO Max release slate, allowing the company to take a tax write-off in its place. They also moved the Aquaman sequel back, which was set for March 2023 release, to December 2023 release. That is a solid nine-ish months there. And Black Adam, although it is getting more or less success, especially after the announcement of Superman in the end credit scene. Yeah! Huh? 
Oh my gosh. He just did his Halloween cat run over to me. He knows it's Halloween. Baffy. <laughs> anyway, uh, despite Black Adam's success, it does currently hold a 39% rating on Rotten Tomatoes with 227 reviews, which is the lowest rating of a DCEU film since 2017's Justice League, which also, I mean, he's making weird noises, which also stands at 39%. But they did, as I mentioned, just get Superman confirmed as back and played by Henry Cavill. As audiences have so wanted for since 2017, actually, and James Gunn does seem to get along really well with Margot Robbie, aka Harley Quinn. Uh, so at least we know that we have those two in a hopefully, hopefully decent future. My personal thoughts on this, though. Um, obviously, first off, I have to say, uh, I don't actually know that much about Peter Safran. He hasn't been as direct with as many projects yet, as far as I can tell. Um, so I can only really give an opinion about Gunn's involvement here. Now, first off, before I even get into that, we do not need a cohesive, what was the thing that they said? An integrated, multi-layered universe. We don't need that. We just need good shows and movies. Um, the MCU has really messed up a lot of filmmakers' idea of what it takes to be successful just because this is what worked for the MCU. Um, that's not that's not the one and done solution. There's there's no way. Um, there's you know there was trying to do the 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 monster verse um, or not the monster verse. What did they call it? Um, yeah, the MonsterVerse, right? With with that horrible Mummy remake that was god-awful. And even Brendan Fraser knew that it wasn't any good. <laughs> god bless. <laughs> My point is, we, we don't need to try to make these cohesive universes. It We can have just standalone films or trilogies or whatever that are their own thing. They can you can have 50 different Superman actors for each one for each different movie you're putting out because none of this has to be connected. You don't have to have this one actor is the one only Superman. Like you can have different things happening. That's just that's just that. But as for what gun, you know, James Gunn's involvement here, I honestly cannot be sure um, what's gonna happen, to be truthful. I, I honestly cannot stand his sense of humor. I think it's god-awful. Um, he has a really also big tendency to fall for tropes of white and especially straight white male film writers and directors, which you can go back and listen to. I talked about it a lot when his Suicide Squad movie came out. But the thing is here, James Gunn hasn't just gotten the job as director and writer of all of DC's future superhero franchise projects. The job he got is the seat at the top that hands off projects to people and okays or vetoes certain big or mid-sized calls for projects. So is it even safe to claim that we're going to start seeing more of his particular humor and style in DC films and shows? My guess would be no, but honestly, who really knows how all of these things are going to go and how it's how it's all going to progress in the future? Um, it's I don't feel like it's safe to make any kind of definitive call or to set your hopes up in one way or another. And all of these people who are saying, oh, yes, this is going to save the DCEU. 
I'm not going to bank on any of that. Again, I can't say much about Peter Safran, but like even for the good things that James Gunn does have in his projects, uh, I, I, I don't feel like it's a good idea to just bank on anything really one way or another here. It's still Warner Discovery with David Zaslav at the top, and things are still really wonky with a lot of their their projects and their franchises, so I'm just going to wait it out and see. In more DC Extended Universe news, I suppose, the Batman, as in Matt Reeves the Batman, their Arkham Asylum spinoff has gotten a writer again. Um, according to Variety, HBO Max has hired Antonio Campos as the new head writer of the Arkham Asylum show. If it does go forward on HBO Max, Campos would be its showrunner and one of the executive producers. This is the biggest update that the project has gotten since it was put on ice earlier in 2022, but it has yet to get a, uh, get a straight-to-series order, so if they like Campos' script and uh, him being the director, for Arkham Asylum, it will likely proceed sometime in 2023. Obviously, we're getting to the end of the year as it is. Um, Matt Reeves also still has his Penguin Show spinoff, which we'll mention here in just a little bit in other news. Um, and I, I had on, I could have sworn I heard this was canceled when Zaslav came in, but I guess it was just put on ice. Um, not sure why this was put on ice, where things like Batgirl were canceled um, when they were pretty much close to being finished, but okay. Um, I guess that's just one of a number of questions about this week's news we have. Because in further DC Universe project live action type thing news, um, the Green Lantern project that we've been very excitedly listening to developments for since 2019 and has completely finished scripts for has been scrapped 100%. They are restarting a new Green Lantern type show only for Jon Stewart, who, don't get me wrong, is a great character, but you know how many Jon Stewart animated projects they've done? Oh my goodness. Um, again, the Green Lantern series that they were doing, it had been in development for three years already, almost four years. It had a finished script, and not only that, the big dinger is, do people say that? Um, they had cast at least two of the characters that we know of. And it just so happened that both of them were gay men. You had Finn Wittrock playing Guy Gardner and Jeremy Irving playing Alan Scott. Both gay characters. Um, not, not a good look. Uh, writer showrunner Seth Graham Smith had also opted not to stay with the project with this restart that they're doing. Um, but Berlanti Productions, a.e. Greg Berlanti, does remain attached uh, with its overall deal with Warner Brothers TV. The original premise, the original script, was written by Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, and that showrunner, Seth Graham Smith. And the original premise of that script was the series... Um, it would have, let's see, it would have reinvented the classic DC property through a story spanning decades and galaxies. It says beginning on Earth in 1941 with the very first Green Lantern, who we know to be Alan Scott, they would have been a secretly gay FBI agent. And then it would have moved forward to 1984, where cocky alpha pilot, sorry, cocky alpha male guy, <laughs> Gardner, male 
Guy Gardner, there we go, uh, and half-alien Brie Jarta would have been uh, the focuses of the show at that point. Again, this would have been like an anthology-type show. We also know that the show then would have spun off from there into stories about other Green Lanterns, including Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz in modern day. As a very big fan of Jessica Cruz, uh, and my husband is a very big fan of Simon Baz, this is wildly disappointing. I know there are so many reasons to celebrate Jon Stewart, but... <sighs> the thing is about the show, they're also saying this news... They're also saying that the budget of the show has been significantly reduced. Um, so we could basically expect what will ultimately be a CW-style TV show, which does not really bode well for them at all. One CBR writer stated accurately that, quote, the smaller scope could potentially be a huge waste of, oppor waste of the property grounding what should be an epic spacefaring adventure, unquote. And that is very true. Green Lantern fans like us, like me, we don't want to see a grounded show. Are you kidding? We are fans of space cops from all corners of the known universe and unknown universe, probably. I don't know. Show us that. Show us Joel Mullen in The City Enduring, a space station housing trillions of aliens making up multiple different distinct species. Show us lanterns getting into tense situations with entire planetary systems, arguments with other lantern cores, planets that are lanterns, animals that are lanterns. I could go on. That's what Green Lanterns fans want to see. And that does not sound anything like what we will get with a reduced budget Jon Stewart TV show. I could always be wrong, and I do hope that I'm wrong, but we'll see. The Witcher, as it is coming back, I believe it's about to do season three, but it has been confirmed for season four, which is great, but there is one... My cats are fighting again. One major change, and that is that Liam Hemsworth will be replacing... I don't like that chaos. Liam Hemsworth will be replacing Henry Cavill as the main character, Geralt of Rivia. There are a couple of statements that Netflix, who of course puts out the show, release from both actors. Oh my goodness, you guys! Cats. Um, they, they release statements from both actors saying, uh, for Cavill, he says, my journey as Geralt of Rivia has been filled with both monsters and adventures. And alas, I will be laying down my medallion and my swords for season four. In my stead, the fantastic Mr. Liam Hemsworth will be taking up the mantle of the White Wolf. As with the greatest of literary characters, I pass the torch with reverence for the time spent embodying Geralt and enthusiasm to see Liam's take on this most fascinating and nuanced of men. Liam, good sir, <laughs> this character has such a good, wonderful depth to him. Enjoy diving in and seeing what you can find. He's so British. And Hemsworth says, as a Witcher fan, I'm over the moon about this opportunity to play Geralt of Rivia. Henry Cavill has been an incredible Geralt, and I'm honored that he has handed me that he's handed me the reins and allowing me to take up the White Wolf's blades for the next chapter of his adventure. Henry, I've been a fan of yours for years and was inspired by what you brought to this beloved character. I may have some big foots to fill, but I'm truly excited to be stepping into the Witcher world. End quotes. Um, obviously, I think the most likely thing here is that this is all related to Cavill officially coming back as Superman for DC. Um, 
I can't really see any other reason why they would have changed that other than that, which is fine. Um, I'm probably not going to be watching it, though, <laughs> for being honest. I don't think I want to watch Liam. I'm not a fan of Liam Hemsworth. I think, I don't know, I don't know. Maybe he'll change our minds with this. I don't know, but I, I, I probably won't be watching. <laughs> now, as for the future of Doctor Who, this has been some news that's been flitting around for a while. The show was going to be getting a Hollywood-style makeover, and now we are seeing the kind of culmination of all of those rumors that Disney is the one who is going to be, quote, giving the show a Hollywood makeover. Absolutely every article seems to be saying that, so I figured I would too. Uh, the deal seems to be with BBC to stream upcoming episodes of Doctor Who on Disney+, Plus, starting with the 2023 60th anniversary, which is happening about a year from now. <laughs> uh, but also, Disney is reportedly helping to finance the Doctor Who show budget, along with Bad Wolf, which has apparently gotten the company license to make the creative decisions about the franchise, though the BBC supposedly maintains the final say on everything that happens in the franchise. There are some reports that suggest that Disney wants to turn Doctor Who into an American-style Hollywood franchise, um, and there's a lot of people who are like, oh, Russell T. Davies would never do that. Russell T. Davies would not be would not be for that. And as one CBR article notes, um, Davies had a quote for Radio Times. He said, I was in the middle of running an empire, and this was back in 2021, before his return had been announced, um, and it was referencing his previous run as Doctor Who showrunner. Um, at the time, he was also producing spinoffs for Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Chronicles, which, I don't know, maybe he, maybe this is obvious for some people, but he says, and my god, I did that ten years too soon, didn't I? There should be a Doctor Who channel now. You look at those Disney announcements of all the Star Wars and Marvel shows and you think we should be sitting here announcing the Nyssa Adventures or the return of Donna Noble and you should have the 10th and 11th Doctors together in a 10-part series, genuinely. That being a quote from Russell T. Davies. Um, and the article continues to say that Davies is already making some of these ideas a reality. David Tennant is returning to Doctor Who, making his surprise return as not the 10th, but the 14th Doctor during Jodie Whittaker's final episode. Oh, spoilers, I guess. And the BBC centenary special, The Power of the Doctor. Also, Catherine Tate is joining David Tennant, reprising her role as Donna Noble. With all of this in mind, um, Russell T. Davies and Disney partnering basically is what it is what it kind of seems. Uh, this is a little bit complicated. I would say this is actually very very similar to uh, the whole concept of James Gunn etc. taking over in part at DC Comics. Um, we're really just gonna have to wait it out and see because so much of this that you if you read all of these articles and all of these reports, so much of it is saying that Russell T Davies and the BBC are going to have the final say on anything in the franchise still, and that Disney is primarily only going to be there to um, give it access to their streaming platform as well as giving them the budget to do bigger and better things. On that first note, the budget to do bigger and better things, obviously access on Disney Plus is great. More people get to watch the show, fantastic. Um, if they're if they're helping with the budget, odds are they will have some 
amount of stipulations that they will want to have because they are funding the show. So potentially there's going to be some arm twisting uh, from Big Bad Mickey Mouse to whatever Doctor Who's little mascot would be. I don't know. Um, I mean, twisting the arm of the TARDIS. I don't know. That sounds stupid. Um, because they are funding this entire thing now, you know, primarily. Um, but in the terms of like major creative decisions, it already sounds like Russell T Davies was going to kind of Hollywoodify it anyway. I mean, obviously he was doing Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Chronicles and yes, you did do that 10 years too soon. It was like, I, so again, also I think just another thing, if we don't need connected universes like this, we just need good projects. But if you're going to be doing a connected universe, I, I mean, it certainly sounds like this is something that Russell T. Davies has been thinking about for over a decade, <laughs> easily over a decade. So um, I would not blame Disney if things take a massively big budget hot. What on earth is he doing in the litter box? It's all scratching. If things take a massively big budget Hollywood turn, I would not say that that is a Disney thing because it really is sounding like Russell T. Davies is super pro getting Disney in here for him to do his Doctor Who dreams, which are apparently spin-off universe Hollywood style makeover of the show. It's just bringing the other thing of the fact that a big part of the draw, I thought, to Doctor Who was and is the camp the campiness the cheesiness the fact that they do have a low budget and so their villains for a lot of the show were dudes wrapped in tinfoil with a popcorn popper on their head and shit like that like that is part of the magic of doctor who and the draw or so i thought maybe i'm wrong about that and maybe giving it this big hollywood style makeover as everybody keeps saying is actually going to be a good thing to draw in new audiences and but it's never going to be the same is what I'm is also a part of this it's never going to be the same so in a way are we already knowing that we're going to be saying goodbye to the doctor who that we have known and loved more or less and loved for the past x amount of years uh possibly it's possible that that is said and gone and we are already, you know, done with it. Um, for all we know, it's this Hollywood style makeover is what we're starting with, with David Tennant and Catherine Tate in the, uh, whatever it is, 60th or whatever. Um, yeah, starting with the 60th. But, you know, I guess the best thing, again, that you can take away with this is you're not going to be sitting here for two weeks in America after Doctor Who episodes or special premieres in the UK trying to find ways to watch it because you either have to not watch it, <laughs> pirate it, or uh, sign up for a cable service so that you can watch it on BBC America. Which, yes, a lot of people are saying this is going to be the downfall of BBC America because without Doctor Who, what are they going to be I don't see any problems with that because, again, you needed a cable service login to use their service in America. So what was what was the point? Now we're going back over there to Marvel for the last 
most, almost everything, the last bit of the news here, bits of the news, starting with a new WandaVision spinoff called Vision Quest, which is going to be a series that is apparently in the works already at Disney+. Plus. This is a second WandaVision series spinoff, the first being The Coven of Chaos with uh, Agatha Harkness, and this will be focusing on Paul Bettany's vision, um, it's apparently already in the works at Marvel Studios for the Disney Plus streaming service. It will be potentially about the Vision trying to regain his memory and his humanity. Um, and there is, of course, the possibility that Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. Scarlet Witch, will also appear, possibly as Vision tries to find where she has ended up across the multiverse. Of course, we last saw her die, so to say, in Multiverse of Madness, which was a whole mess of a movie, but I digress. She isn't gone for good. She never was. We know this. Um, so this this kind of sounds like a... Um, a Wanda fan's wet dream <laughs> because I've been wanting to get more Wanda stuff and you know everybody was saying that not everybody all the Wanda fans on Twitter were losing their minds when there was no Wanda announcement at D23 or Comic-Con and blah 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 and I'm sorry that was never gonna happen uh but this is probably the closest we're gonna get to that for the time being this is obviously gonna be White Vision Paul Bettany uh who we last saw in the WandaVision series where he was facing off with the vision, the fake vision, whatever it was, he ends up absorbing all of the visions and memories and things and kind of fully becomes the vision um, by like absorbing what was the vision. It's like a whole thing. But basically, um, as white vision, he is like a like a watered down version of himself and he's going to go off and try to find himself. So yay. Um, the vision also is powered in part by the... Um, Soulstone, right? That's the one? Mindstone? Whatever it is. Um, it's possible that we're going to be getting some Infinity Gem lore. Um, I would also not hesitate to say that we would get more characters like Monica Rambeau and um, Jimmy, whatever his name is. Um, the sword people, you know. Uh, we will probably be getting a lot more of that too if we are getting the spinoff, which it sounds like I don't think they would let this news kind of come out if they weren't really planning on this being a thing. So I, I think it'll be a thing. And I think it'll be good. Paul Bettany's really good. He's had a really funny arc as being the Vision because, of course, he was Jarvis. Um, and back when, you know, Jarvis was destroyed or whatever in Iron Man, he was like, oh, I guess that's it. And then they call him up and they're like, hey, do you want to be the Vision for Age of Ultron? And the rest is history, so good on him. Uh, a Knight's Tale is a great movie, and he is butt naked in it, just saying. I don't know why I felt the need to mention that. In more Marvel news, we have been kind of footing around, towing around who the heck Amelia Clark is playing in Secret Invasion, and it does seem that we have had it confirmed she will be Abigail Brand. Uh, why are we saying this? Because recently an official account for Marvel's Secret Invasion was created for the site Tenor, which is used for uploading gifts. Fairly common to do for social media stuff for these kinds of companies, since the whole idea is to upload gifts which represent moments that fans want to reproduce on social media and use the gift to show that off. So one of these gifs is, and yes, I'm saying it both ways, screw you, is of Amelia Clark, and it has been labeled, it's the beginning of Abigail Brand, which apparently is something that she's saying, um, 
except the part of her saying the name is cut off. So it could be some kind of trick. It could be her talking about somebody else. But the fact that it's there among other characters, um, why, why would they be doing that as like a trick? I don't know. As for who Abigail Brand is, she from the comics is notoriously the commander of S.W.O.R.D., the intelligence agency that is kind of the counterpart of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, and we've already had that introduced, as I kind of mentioned before, in WandaVision uh, for the MCU. Brand is a mutant. She's actually only half mutant. Uh, other half is alien, although <laughs> I did some research and have no idea what beyond just alien, not a clue. Um, because if you go to the Marvel Wiki, it just says alien. It doesn't say what kind of alien, so I'm not really sure. Uh, and she is notorious for having green hair. So uh, is it possible that her mutant side is going to wake up during the show and it'll turn her hair green? I don't know. Maybe. That's kind of the assumption of why her hair is green in the comics. Although, again, I'm not sure even what her power is in the comics. I do know that she was married to Beast briefly, uh, and that was just a terrible thing. <laughs> Anybody who would marry Beast, you can't trust them. No, no, there's no way. But as far as the rest of the Secret Invasion show goes, whether or not Amelia Clark is playing Abigail Brand, we know that we are going to be seeing Don Cheadle back as James Rhodes, a.k.a. War Machine, Martin Freeman as Everett K. Ross, and then we do not have characters for, but we know that they are in this, is Olivia Coleman, Christopher McDonald, Carmen Ejogo, Ben Kingsley, oh, Kingsley Benadir, and Killian Scott. And closing down a little bit on the news here, um, Venom 3 has officially been confirmed and is going to have a director. The director is a woman, which is exciting. That woman is the writer of the first two Venom movies, which immediately makes it less exciting. Uh, her name is Kelly Marcel. She did write the first two Venom movies, and now she is directing the third, so take with that what you will. In casting news, William Jackson Harper has been cast in Quantumania. You will know him as playing Cheaty from The Good Place. He has also been in Love Life. I believe it was season two. He was the main character. And The Resort um, with uh, Kristen Melody. Uh, which is funny because we're going to talk about her also in a second. But obviously the biggest thing um, that people are thinking, myself included, he has been my dream Reed Richards cast since I saw him, basically. <laughs> um, he could somehow potentially be playing Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards. Uh, that is very possible um, because... In Quantumania, we are also going to be dealing a lot with Kang, who is obviously being played by Jonathan Majors. Um, Kang is a descendant of Reed Richards, and Kang being a black man, basically, unless they were trying to do another lame adoption storyline or something, I don't know, odds are that at least either Sue or Reed would be characters of color in the movie, whatever, the Fantastic Four movie that'll be coming up eventually, since Kang is, right? Because it would be a pretty big lost opportunity if they just went, oh yeah, someone along their interest who was black, it wasn't them, and then just cast white actors, because everyone just expects that, you know? So part of the assumption is that, you know, you may be getting a character of color for I mean, I feel like we will be getting a character of color for either Reed or and or Sue. 
Um, and the other thing is, I can't really think of what other characters he might be playing. Someone suggested the villain Annihilus, which I could kind of see. Um, I don't know, random Reed Richards' descendant, Valeria's future husband? I don't know, because uh, Kang is a descendant of Reed by way of Valeria, his daughter, not his son. So, ha! Um, Valeria has always been the better sibling, in my opinion. Um... <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, the, the movie uh, Quantumania, I believe it is coming out in February, is starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Catherine Newton, Michael Douglas, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Jonathan Majors. And for that Kristen Melody news, she has been cast as the female lead in the HBO Max The Penguin Show, uh, I think it's HBO Max at least, which is a spinoff of the Matt Reeves the Batman. The Batman. How many times can I say the? Uh, she's going to be playing Sophia Falcone. Is it Falcone or Falcone? I never remember which one it is. Maroni? No, I'm pretty sure it's Falcone, because I'm pretty sure it's Maroni and Falcone, not Falcone and Marone. Yeah, so it's Falcone. Uh, the Penguin is going to be executive produced by so many people. <laughs> I don't know why this list is so long, but it's Matt Reeves, Dylan Clark, Colin Farrell, Lauren LaFranc, and Craig Zobel are all executive producing The Penguin. Uh, Craig Zobel is directing the first two episodes, and Lauren LaFranc is also writing and serving as a showrunner. Obviously, Colin Farrell is starring as The Penguin, and now we have Kristen Melody as the female lead, Sophia Falcone. What her role is necessarily going to be, I don't know. Uh, but we know that she's a really good actress. She has acted alongside William Jackson Harper, so it's kind of funny. They've both been announced as being cast and stuff in the past week that is superhero-related. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, going to be really fun. And as for the one rumor that we have for the week, uh, this actually goes back to the MCU and to Reed Richards specifically. Diego Luna is rumored to be high up in the running for being Reed Richards in the MCU. Um, that's kind of it. That's the rumor. There's not much more to it, or really, there's not really anything else to it other than that. Um, and we're not even sure how legitimate this is, but I could see that. I could definitely see that working out. Um, and now I kind of want it. We've obviously seen Diego Luna very recently in Andor, uh, playing Cassie and Andor, so that's that's pretty cool. It would make a lot of sense. Also, they like to keep people in the kind of the family of whatever production company they're coming from. So it's possible Disney just found him another gig within their arms of their company. Let's talk comics. Uh, this is comics that are, we're going to start with comics coming out. Uh, some highlights for the January 2023 Big Two solicitations, which you're going to find on my website and also linked in the description below. Um, there is going to be a new Wasp series. However, it is not written by a female writer, uh, which is very disappointing. Uh, there is going to be Jenny Frizen starting her Harley Quinn cover run, which of course I will be collecting. Uh, and on Captain Marvel 45, we have an homage to Ms. Marvel number one, which I absolutely love. And my fourth note here, I clearly erased some of it 
and I don't know what it's supposed to say. So we're going to go ahead and move on <laughs> to November Comics. Welcome to November. Uh, for the November Comics, we have a lot of number ones coming all across the board. Uh, so starting off with indie comics that are getting starts to new series and miniseries. I Hate Fairyland is a new series starting, as well as Hell to Pay, Graves. I'm actually not sure. I think it just says Graves. There's another typo in there. Chroma by De Felici is one of four. Plush is one of six. Voyages is one of five. Behold Behemoth is one of five. And then we have Once Upon a Time at the End of the World. Firefly Keep Flying. Ones is one, or the ones, I guess, is one of four. Uh, that's one that's coming out this first week of November as well. And then Resident Alien is doing a new miniseries called Book of Love, which is going to be four issues. We get Lord of the Jungle from Dynamite and Vampirella versus Red Sony number one, which is again coming out this week. At DC Comics, they only have a couple of things that are starting this month, including Batman and Joker Deadly Duo, one of seven, and a special one-shot for Wildstorm's 30th anniversary. Meanwhile, over at Marvel, they are pumping out the number ones in November, including Avengers Assemble Alpha, Axe Judgment Day, Num uh, yeah, Axe Judgment Day Omega, Black Panther Unconquered, Blade Vampire Nation, Captain America and Winter Soldier Special, which is just a one-shot, Cross-Gen Tales, Deadpool, Demon Ward's Shield of Justice, which is the new issue of the Peach Momoko series, Doctor Strange Fall Sunrise, one of four, which is by Daniel Warren Johnson, Fantastic Four, number one by Alex Ross, Peter Peter Miles Spider-Man Double Trouble, number one of four. Planet Hulk Worldbreaker, one of five. Sabretooth and the Exiles, one of five. Spider-Man Lost Hunt, starring Kraven, one of five. And then we also have Star Wars Yoda, Star Wars Revelations, Thanos Death Notes, one shot. And finally, Tiger Division, one of five, starring South Korea's first superhero team. This week's manga spotlight, or spotlight manga, whatever you prefer, is, as I mentioned before, the great Jahi will not be defeated. And it's my Halloween costume. To be clear, it's Kid Jahi, not Demon Jahi. It's it's the one in the shirt with the with the shirt and the yeah, that's the yeah, it's the little version, because it was easier. This is by Wakame Kombu, who is a flaming lesbian who also writes a book called The Maid I Hired Recently is Mysterious, which is kind of funny, and more importantly, breasts are my favorite thing in the world. And also Dreaming Girl Prima, or Dreaming Prima Girl. The genre of Jahi is comedy, slice of life, and supernatural. It apparently falls under the shonen, um flag umbrella, uh, which is weird as hell to me because shonen is the genre that targets teen boys. I don't see it. I really don't see any teen boys having a slight interest in this series. I, I don't get it. To me, this is a series for lesbians by lesbians, or I should say for the gays by the gays, is more accurate there. Um, but okay, I, I according to, to Wikipedia, it's shonen. <laughs> 
I, I'm not going with that personally. Um, there are only three volumes out in English as of this moment. However, the fourth volume is coming out in about two weeks on November 15th, 2022. I have that ship pre-ordered and I am so excited. There is also already an anime first season in the making. It is up on Crunchyroll. There's something like 10 episodes or 8 episodes. And the manga is published by Square Enix. If you would like to know the official... Summary of the series, it says, Jahi, the feared and respected number two ruler of the Dark Realm, suddenly finds herself powerless and shrunken in the human world after a magical girl destroys a powerful mana crystal, which also destroys her home realm. The mana follows Jahi and her the manga follows Jahi and her daily life as she learns to live in her new surroundings while she works to restore her original form, the mana crystal, and the dark realm. Uh, the characters in this obviously include Jahi. She has the two forms she has when she has enough mana. She can be her full form. And then she works as a waitress, basically. Uh, and then when her mana runs out, she shrinks back down into this little, like, little shrunken kid form, um, which is pretty cute. So this Jahi Druj is her, like assistant or something like that who she would always like basically crap all over <laughs> in the dark realm uh but for however it happened druge managed to get a bunch of mana crystals out of the dark realm and is living it high on earth as like the ceo of some company in some high-rise apartment i don't even know um but jahi does not have the humility to admit that she is like failing at everything in her attempts to live at Earth. Then we have the boss and the landlord who are sisters, um, and that adds a lot of fun dynamic into it. Her boss thinks that Jahi is so, so cute and sweet, and the landlord hates her, not really, um, because she refuses to pay her rent. And there's obviously a few other characters that are really fun, but those are my favorites. Um, I have not been watching the anime because I want to catch up on the manga first, but the mangas are only coming out once every few months, so I might just break and watch it anyway. Um, but I definitely recommend The Great Jahi Cannot Be Defeated, or it's not that, it's The Great Jahi Will Not Be Defeated. Um, I love it. It's awesome. I can't recommend it enough. As I said in the beginning, I do only have a handful, actually literally five, comic book picks for the week. They were comics that came out the week of the 25th of October. And now that I'm looking at it, I realize they're all Marvel, so sorry about that. I know there's a lot of other stuff that's been coming out, but I have just been so behind on all of my reading, including like my mangas that I've been trying to read. Ugh, just so behind on things. But trying to schedule my life a little bit better or on this new job, um, and we'll hopefully get back on track with my comic book reading. At least I have been on track with the podcast, more or less. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Uh, we're going to talk Judgment Day number six, more or less, uh, mostly, and then it's going to be a small bit on Strange number seven, because you know how I've been feeling about that, wishy-washiness, New Mutants number 31, uh, which has a new writer, and Exterminators number two by Leah Williams, I think. Uh, so Judgment Day number six was the finale of the Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day event. Still not sure if they're calling it AXE or AXE or if we're all just going to go with Judgment Day. They are genuinely horrific at naming events. 
I feel like this one in particular has like three names. Why? Just give it one name. You don't need to list the teams who are involved in the name. I'm just being picky now. Um, basically what happens in this issue, and I am going to spoil the heck out of it, so if you haven't read it, maybe skip this. Um, or if you don't care, you know, I don't, I don't really blame you. It was kind of a weird event. Um, but basically in this the final issue of the main arc, and as somebody who has now read all six issues of the main story, no, you do not need to read all of those tie-ins. That was completely not something that I that mattered. <laughs> but so number six, um, basically to get out of the situation that they were in of the progenitor, aka the god they created out of the celestial that was Avengers Mountain, um, thanks Tony Stark for screwing that one up again. God, all these events are always either Tony's, Steve's, or um, Thor's problem. It's all just them. They just they always cause these issues. So this one was Tony. Mainly Tony and then the dumb Eternals. <laughs> but basically, they because the progenitor is like judging humanity as unworthy, uh, they basically do a uno reverse on him and tell him that he is actually unworthy as well or they, um, and so the progenitor is like, oh, snap, you're right, and that's it, that's the end. <laughs> Not necessarily. The progenitor does give, uh, their powers to Ajak. Not sure Ajak really deserved power after all this, but okay. Um, it's an odd reward to give somebody who has done absolutely nothing of use. <laughs> gives his powers to Ajak, Ajak becomes an actual god, I'm sure they have some plan for that. Uh, also, Cersei uh, does the big deed of uh, uh, honestly sacrificing herself to tell the world about the eternal secret, which I've been waiting for this entire time, and I can't believe it took this long for them to do it. Just another reason why this was a very not great event. It was super mid-core. Um, she tells everybody, she psychically tells every person on Earth that the Eternals, every time they die to regenerate, they take a human life. So she tells them that, and due to all... Every, like every living being on the planet at the same moment wanting her to die... She does. <laughs> she just is completely annihilated by the the will of the entire planet just wanting her to die. And I'm sure the progenitor had something to do with that too, but I prefer the, the explanation of everybody just wanted it so badly that it happened. <laughs> Literally everybody wanted Cersei to die in that moment, and so reality could not argue. Uh, we also have the Avengers. Oh yeah, the Captain America thing. He obviously, they brought him back in the last issue, right? Um, and so this is kind of like a weird, a weird way that they kind of solve that. So now that the X-Men on Krakoa can resurrect anybody, not just people with a mutant gene, we all knew that was going to be complicated. And they honestly went like a really... Again, this is just a very mediocre event, and their explanation of how they were going to get around that problem that they now have of that no one really has to actually be dead ever, <laughs> uh, because you can bring everybody back if you want, is that it takes time, and they're going to, for the humans, I guess they're going to do case by case, like only those who truly deserve it and who truly need it. That's super messy. That's that's wild messy. How who are you to judge who is worthy to be brought back to life? That's like for the X-Men it was one thing, but now for the entire world 
there is no reality where there would not be massive freaking riots on Krakoa of humans showing up to burn the damn planet down, island down, I mean, because who the hell are the mutants to decide who is worthy of humanity to be resurrected? Sure, they gave the example of some kid who dies of bone cancer or something, but like that that's an obvious one. That's easy. And even then, what if that kid grows up to be a serial killer? Like it's not, that's a super messy conclusion to bring this to is, yeah, the world's just going to accept that the mutants are going to decide case by case who is going to get resurrected on the planet. Like, that's wild messy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's kind of how it all ends. The uh, the body of the progenitor being the former Avengers Mountain somehow goes back to being the Avengers Mountain like it never changed. Uh, oh yeah, everybody's brought back to life who got annihilated, except for Cersei, of course, because she was like a whole other thing. And then it kind of ends by saying like, the, the, that was one thing I'll give it is they they kind of did the it's what Taika Waititi did in Love and Thunder. The last line of the movie, in this case, the event is kind of like makes up for the shittiness of the rest of it. And I'm not saying Love and Thunder was shitty. There was definite parts of it I did not like, but overall it was a good movie. Um, this event. I would definitely say overall it was mediocre as hell. <laughs> uh, so, they, But they do kind of like save it in the slightest little bit at the last couple of lines, talking about how every day is judgment day, so be careful of what you do because you never know when hellfire will rain down in judgment upon you. That is a little bit Christian now that I think about it. Is that not a very Christian concept of any moment Jesus can make his return and Armageddon or whatever? Interesting. Didn't think of that. Moving on. Strange number seven. Uh, again, these last, these other three are going to be super short premises, uh, rundowns, whatever. Strange number seven. Uh, this issue, I would say, is a lot better. I'm really hoping that uh, Jen McKay has been seeing everybody seething about how this is supposed to be Clea's first solo series, and it's entirely about Steven. This, this, this fucking, I'm sorry, but this solo series about a woman, her first solo series would not pass the Bechdel test. Like, come on. And you can say all this stuff about how, oh, she's been separate from him for so long, or they've been separate for so long, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, and the years of them being broken up and separated has kind of, like, worn down their desire to stay apart, whatever. You can say that, but that, they're not saying that. They're just straight up ignoring the fact that the two of them have been apart for years, and their marriage has been long decided as over. You don't just go back to being married, that's not... It's not really how that works. And in any case, I could go into this whole thing that I go over every freaking time. Clea is not goddamn human. She would not subscribe. She doesn't have a last name. She was raised in a domain where there are no last names. Why would she come to Earth and decide that she's going to take on a man's last name? That's not even a concept in the dark dimension where she was born. And even it is a concept, sort of among the Faltine, which is the other half of her lineage, but it's a concept of things that they absolutely do not subscribe to. The Faltine do not do family ties. They do not do last names. They do not say things like husband, mother, father, sister, brother. And that's what got, you know, her mother and uncle kicked out was because they desired corporeal bodies. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but you see my point is this solo series is just wild disappointing. Uh, New Mutants number 31, I wish I could say I liked, I did not. 
Um, it's a new writer, and as far as I can tell, a bunch of new characters. Absolutely no magic, um, or really the majority of the characters who I read New Mutants for, so I will not be reading this anymore, because it has nothing in it that I would like from a New Mutants book now. Uh, don't know why Vita Ayala is no longer on it, but I wish they were, because they were stupendous at the book. Finally, Exterminators number two was very entertaining, um, but it suffers from being labeled as a mature comic. It has like a big warning page and everything, but then it has little black boxes and ink over all of the cussing and gore, and there's like very little of any of that anyway, so where is the maturity in this? Um, they don't even, they're, they're not even making like adult jokes, really. They're making like kind of just kind of like high school boy jokes. Like, is this... I, I like it, but it's not a mature series. Now, as I think I mentioned in the beginning, it is a fantastic time to be diving into some indie comics on this week's poll list, which are coming out things the week of this uh, Wednesday, November the 2nd. Uh, we have so many indie kickoffs to new series, indie number ones, uh, a lot of which I am really hoping to get my hands on or my be little eyes on. Uh, and then, of course, we have a couple of other things from Marvel and DC, but we're going to go through the indie number ones more or less first, starting with Skybound Comics, who is putting out Chroma. Um, the way that I'm doing the pull list kind of now is I'm just kind of going to I'm going to go through a lot faster and I'm going to try to kind of just give a brief summary of things. And then um, if there's anything like worth mentioning creators of any in any way, then I will add that in as well. But we're going to not be quite so detailed with the poll list. But anyway, Skybound is publishing Chroma number one. Chroma lives her days out in darkness, believing she is the most evil creature alive, but a mysterious orphan sees her as a human and seeks out and seeks to find a way for them to escape the cruel fate of Pale City. From Opus Comics is Monsters of Metal number one. Frankenstein's monster, Medusa, Jack-O-Lantern, Werewolf, and the Bride form a metal band. From Silver Sprocket is Magical Beatdown number three. This is one that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, it's basically this like somewhat Sailor Moon-esque girl uh, who goes around and uh, like basically murders, <laughs> beats to death um, sexist dudes. And I love Silver Sprocket as a publisher, so I try to support them as much as possible whenever I can. From Boom Studios, they're giving us Behold Behemoth by Tate Brombal and Nick Robles on the art. Nick Robles is a pretty big name in comics. The line between nightmare and waking life blurs when a man discovers that the monster from his dreams might just be real. Uh, a real ancient beast that is bringing about the end of the world. From Mad Cave Studios, how did I not get the name of this one written down? Nature's Labyrinth is the title, Nature's Labyrinth number one. It says, in a battle royale style game, eight violent fel felons will fight to the death on an island complex lined with traps and an ever-changing landscape designed by a man known only as Ahab. From IDW, Earth Divers number two. This is a uh, not number one, so we won't bother going over some of that stuff. From AWA, though, is Gatsby number one. Uh, presumably, as you can imagine, it's a reimagining of the classic novel set in modern-day Long Island. Image Comics comes Hell to Pay number one by Charles Soule, who is a fantastic writer, and Will Sliney, or Sliney, I don't know how to pronounce that, a married couple indebted to the Shrouded College 
interesting, utilize the magic bestowed upon them to track down cursed coins known as the Devil's Dollar. Also from Image is Bloodstained Teeth number 6 by Christian Ward and Mac Chater. From Dynamite is Vampirella vs. Red Sonia number 1, Sonia Hunts Vampy Across the Universe by Dan Abnett and Alessandro Rinaldi. Covers here by Carla Cohen, Joseph Michael Linzer, Joe Quiones, Par- Lucio Pario, Jay Lee, and more. Also Cherish number one and Sweet Candy Vigilante number two. From Dark Horse is The Ones number one by Brian Michael Bendis, a really big name in comics, and Jacob Edgar. Every single person in every mythology who was ever told that they were the one are brought together for the first time to defeat the one. Quick Stops number one is an anthology of stories from the View Askew universe of Kevin Smith films by Kevin Smith. Count Crowley, Amateur Midnight Monster Hunter number four, is four of four of this miniseries by actor and horror superfan David Desmalkian. From Scout Comics is Ghost Planet number one. A family of deep space explorers rushes to solve the mystery of Ghost Planet before their recently loved before their recently dead loved ones return to kill them. There's also Kill Cella number one, She Bites number two, and Road Trip to Hell number one. A young man learns he is the heir to hell after his father Satan died. Now he must survive the demonic legions who desire to be the new king of hell. From Aftershock is Samurai Doggy number three, Astronaut Down number four, which is one that I'm super looking forward to, Vineyard number three, and There's Something Wrong with Patrick Todd number four. Over at DC Comics, Dark Knights of Steel number 8 comes out this week by Tom Taylor and art by Yasmin Putri. This is the War of the Three Kingdoms, and this is of 12 issues total. Batman and the Joker, Deadly Duo number 1 of 3, comes from DC Black Label, uh, written and drawn by Mark Silvestri. It is a team up of the Bat and the Joker in an effort to locate missing and endangered Commissioner Gordon and Harley Quinn. There's also Batman 129 by Chip Sartsky and Poison Ivy number 6 by G. Willow Wilson and Marcio Takara, with covers by Warren Liu, Jessica Fong, Jenny Frizen, and Janina Medir. Medeiros. Finally, from Marvel Comics, this week brings us Deadpool number one by Alyssa Wong and Martin Kokolo, with covers by Martin Kokolo, David Nakayama, Lionel Francis Yu, Jim Chung, Mike Hawthorne, Kara Andrews, Tom Riley, and Todd Nock. What they say about the series is a mercenary group sends Wade on one of his most dangerous missions, an intoxication villain. Hmm, unleashes a twisted play on his body with horrifying side effects. I feel like I missed a word in there somewhere. Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind number one is simply a tie-in to the Disney World attraction that opened in May. She-Hulk number seven is a possible first appearance of the new villains because number eight's, issue number eight solicits that they have shown their faces or face. This also has double Jen Bartel covers, so that's really exciting. Jen Bartel is a fantastic artist, and I love her She-Hulk. Tiger Division, number one. Uh, first is the first solo series with the Korean super team Tiger Division, which is made up of Luna Snow, White Fox, Taiguki, Lady Bright, Mr. Enigma, The General, and Gunnar 2 by Emily Kim and Chris Hyun Sung Lee, with covers by Chris Lee, huh, Art Germ, Jung Yoon Yoon, Carlos Gomez, Ron Lim, Pablo Villalobos, 
Peach Momoko actually has two different covers, and then Songan Yoon. Finally, Captain Marvel number 34, sorry, 43, a little bit dyslexic there. Uh, Kelly Thompson writing and Sergio Fernandez Davia doing the art on this new story arc, which is called Revenge of the Brood Part 1. I have a feeling I'm really going to enjoy this one because it is supposed to be heavily involved in Carol's past as well as her friends. Um, so we are going to. I mean, to be honest, that is that is what Kelly Thompson does best in this Captain Marvel series is creating cool new things and having Carol hang out with her friends. So this is going to be a fun story arc. And that leaves us with uh, The Power of the Doctor, which, if I'm not mistaken, is season 13, episode 9, question mark? Um, I, I guess, I don't really know if they subscribe to that kind of thing. Um, but anyway, so I told you I found this really great Den of Geek article. I will link it below because it is extensive on the Easter eggs that they threw in here. Now, as a little bit of background, personally, I have watched a little bit of the original Doctor Who series. Maybe a total of like two hours <laughs> if you put it all together. Uh, so not much, very much a little, um, barely any, basically. So I knew that these characters, you know, they, they advertised that these certain characters were coming back. I obviously recognized the doctors, and we're of course spoiling this, the doctors' faces who we see who end up coming back for certain amounts of time for various reasons. Um, but for anything like detailed of context, um, I definitely recommend checking out this article in more extensiveness than what I will be talking about from it. But to go over the plot of the episode super quickly, um, basically the Daleks and the Cybermen teamed up and they're working with the Master to try and do his evil plan, which ends up being he's going to put the <laughs> the he's going to force regenerate the doctor into himself as in force the doctor to regenerate and when she regenerates because of course we know we're still at 13 here and it's a she um she will end up as the master and it works and it does it and it happens um super super crazy uh honestly i would say very good acting but crazy like the difference when he becomes the master slash the doctor versus just one or the other he's like a weird mix up of the two <laughs> uh they think they did a really good job with that he did a great fantastic job and of course they played the what is it 1976 or 78 song Rasputin which is by Boney M. I don't know how many people... I'm trying to look up what the actual year of the song was right now. 1976. Oh, no, that's Sunny. It's a different song. Here we go. Rasputin. 1978 was when their Essentials album came out with that on it, it looks like. Um, so maybe the 70... Yeah, 76 or 78. I think it was 76 when it originally came out, and then just the Greatest Hits version in 78. And it had a big resurgence in the past, like, year or two via TikTok, which is pretty funny. Um, there's some really honestly genuinely impressive videos of professional like dancers and stuff dancing to it and that's I, I love it love the energy but anyway I'm getting off track um so he does the he does a thing and then obviously um they are able to undo that he goes back into his body I think he dies I don't even remember um and the doctor ends up regenerating of course but the big thing that I'm pretty sure everybody knows by now is that she regenerates into David Tennant's doctor. And so they've clarified that 
David Tennant's doctor is both nine, right? And no, 10. <laughs> so he's both 10. And what is this, 14? We all thought that Nkuti Gatwa would be who Jodie Whittaker turns into. Um, and I know people were like really worried that they were going to do it in some way that was going to kind of poo-poo Jodie Whittaker's role. I don't think it really does. They were always in this awkward situation of having put in a female doctor by nature when they eventually go back to a non-female doctor, it was going to feel like a little bit of a failure. That's I, I, I don't think there was ever going to be any way to get around that just because there's such an air of, oh, people don't want a female doctor. So when you eventually, for whatever reason, good or bad, that you switch her out for a different actor he's no doubt going to be end up being male at some point again, it's going to feel like a little bit of a failure. And that's kind of, it's terrible to sit to, to have that, but it is the truth that that's just how it is. And I don't think there was ever any way for them to get around that aside from just having it be a female doctor for the rest of eternity. And that was obviously never going to happen. Um, so they did a decent enough job with it. I obviously love David Tennant as the doctor and he obviously enjoys the heck out of it as well. My personal theory, based on the trailer for the uh, the episode that's coming next year with David Tennant and Nkutigawa eventually, um, my theory is that they're going to be like flip-flopping back and forth for whatever reason. No idea why, that's just the theory that I have right now. So let's go through some of the Easter eggs from the episode, obviously starting off with the two companions who we saw from the original series, first off being Tegan Jovanka and second being Ace McShane, or otherwise known as Dorothy McShane. Um, it, they are two companions uh, with history of, I believe, different doctors. Um, and there's, at that Den of Geek article, there's tons of little tiny things that they say that um, are Easter eggs to their time as companions originally. Now, I obviously know that the Master shows back up here, Um he had himself disguised as Rasputin, which is pretty funny. And the doctors who we saw, uh, I believe there was four of them. Okay, yeah, four of them played by original actors. Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Paul McGann, while David Bradley uh, stepped in for the shoes of William Hartnell, who I believe was the original. So there's five total doctors um, joining the two original companions. And the last little Easter egg that I wanted to mention here was something that I would never have guessed, but it was during the doctor's final speech before she regenerates. She says the phrase, uh, she mentions among other things, she says, Blossomus Blossom, um, which is like a very Doctor Who thing for her to say, but apparently it is actually taken from an interview with Dennis Potter as he reflected on his advancing cancer and approaching death. Again, this is from the Dennis Geek article, which will be linked in the thingy below. Uh, apparently Potter said it when discussing the blossom tree outside the blossoming tree outside his window. I see it is the whitest, frothiest, blossomest blossom, blossomest blossom that there ever could be, and I can see it. Things are both more trivial than they ever were and more important than they ever were, and the difference between the trivial and the important doesn't seem to matter. That definitely seems like a pretty direct reference to that statement, and it does make a lot of sense in context with Jodie Whittaker's doctor being on her way out. Again, there doesn't seem to be any 
miscommunication among Jodie Whittaker's doctor and the rest of the Doctor Who world that her leaving does feel a bit sad due to the fact that there's there's a lot of people who relate to Jodie Whittaker's doctor specifically, especially uh, in the trans community, which I have heard a number of people talk about personally. And like many of the other doctors, she did have that little bit of I hate I hate this phrase, but tragic beauty to her of she is this great big thing that is incredibly sad and old and has seen so much death and everything. Um, and that, that's part of the nature of who. But the fact that it was sort of a bit of a sad send off, I felt like a bit of a sad send off because of that nature of we're saying goodbye to the female doctor who after decades of asking for one. Um it, it feels like it fits, uh, the blossomiest of blossoms. But anyway, that wraps up. Well, I guess we'll see Doctor Who next in about a year. So there we go. That wraps up this week's episode of Sensational Shiggy live from Yancey Street. Uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Uh, there has been some news that has dropped since I started recording this, and that is uh, some things that we'll just wait to talk about next week, like the Wonder Man casting. I love Yaya. I'm so happy about that. We'll talk about Tales of the Jedi a little bit as well. I'll have a new spotlight manga for the week, and I'm also going to discuss the, the Netflix show The Bastard Son and the Devil Himself. Very good show, uh, and also had a very nice ending, if uh, pretty satisfying as well. So we'll talk about all that stuff and more uh, come next week's episode for the first week of November. Uh, well, second week, I guess, technically at that point. And also, this Friday the 4th, I am posting the October Halloween, I talked about it at the beginning, Halloween Yancey Street special, which is going to be focusing on Satana, but not just Satana, all of the factors that go into her creation and existence, including horror exploitation, the comics code, why the comics code was founded, seduction of the innocent, uh, satanic panic, all of those things are related to the character of Satana and her creation and her continued existence, and so I am super excited to get a little spooky with that one for you guys on Friday. Have a great week, stay warm, uh, but do continue to drink water because it's cold, but you still need to be hydrated, okay? All right, have a good week. <laughs>